Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's August 31st, 2016, and I'm your healthcare show host, Christine Hargis. On the phone is Motley Fool Healthcare contributor Todd Campbell. Thanks for joining me today, Todd. Glad to be here, Christine. So today is the show that you've all been waiting for. We're finally doing our episode on investing in pet healthcare. We've been building up to today's episode for a while, ever since we got a request earlier this month from Jenny Gustafson in the Motley Fool podcast Facebook group. Jenny noted that she was trying to take the foolish advice of investing in what you know. And what she knows is that she's been spending a lot of money taking care of her elderly dogs. Anyone that owns a pet knows it can be awfully expensive. Todd, do you have pets? Oh, I do. I, I mean, where do I start? I, I've got a dog. I've got two cats. I even have a bearded dragon. A bearded dragon. Wow. Yeah, my 14-year-old. That's pretty awesome. And are they expensive to take care of? Absolutely. I'm sure the, the grooming on that, that beard couldn't be cheap. <laughs> yeah, no, the, um, absolutely. I mean, you know, pet care, veterinary care, anyone who has animals happens to know that especially as they get older, uh, they require just a little bit more care uh, than ever before. Yeah, and this is something that a lot of U.S. households are are going through. I mean, I, everybody that I know, it seems like, owns a pet, and maybe that's just because I don't, so I'm I'm jealous. But this is a market that's very, very large and very prevalent throughout the country. It's absolutely huge, and and to hammer that point home, I thought it might be fun to play a little game with you and our listeners. Okay, yeah, lay it on me. All right, great. I was thinking we could do a little over under where I say a particular category, and I say, what do you think? Is there more of these, or is there less of these? And of course, listeners can play along at home. Okay, sounds good. I will, I will give a, the listeners a second before I give my answer. All right, fantastic. Let's start off with dogs. Do you think that there are more or less than 50 million dogs in the United States? 50 million dogs in the U.S.? I'm going to go with over. You would be correct. There are 73 million dogs in the United States. 73 million. I mean, that's like 73 times larger than the state that I live in population-wise. That is insane. Yeah. And there's another 43 million dogs uh, in Western Europe. So if you include Western Europe and the United States, you've got 160 million dogs. All right, let's go to the next one. Okay. Do you think that there are more or less than 1 billion chickens? 1 billion chickens. I'm going to go... Oh, that that's tough. <laughs> I'm going to go with less on that. There are 19 billion No! Chickens. In the world. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I read that and I was a little shocked by that as well. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. you have to think that most of their lifespans aren't really that long. So that's a lot of chickens being that, born every single year. Absolutely. Wow. And you want to do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. All right. Are there more or less than 500 million cats on the planet? 500 million. See, that's tough because I feel like there are a lot of cats that aren't household pet cats. And then do we, do we take like tigers into consideration or are we just talking? No, small cats. Okay, what was the number so again? Small cats, and this would include um, wild cats, like, you know, feral cats. Okay, and it was 500 million? Yes, more or less. 
Uh, I'm going to go with less again. Uh, 600 million cats worldwide. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of cats. So, so we're talking about uh, uh, billions of pets, uh, tons of, of animals globally uh, that are receiving care either because they're going to be used for, you know, livestock to feed the world's population or because they're, you know, animals that are have become a member of our family. And, you know, when you start thinking about the size of this addressable market, it probably shouldn't be too surprising to find out that, you know, we're spending tens of billions of dollars a year on pet care alone. Clearly, you've looked into the numbers behind this. Do you happen to know how much Americans spent last year on their pets? Uh, all right. American Pet Products Association. We'll do one more over and under. How's that? Okay. I, th- this, this is cheating, we... though, because I, I do know the answer. Yeah, to okay. Do you, do you th- okay, so we'll do it for our listeners. Do you think that Americans spent more or less than $50 billion on their pets last year? This is me pausing, giving our listeners some time to think about it. And you know the answer, so I'll just dive right in. We spent $60.6 billion last year on our pets, according to the American Pet Products Association. We did, and that's a rising number. That's up 4% year over year. There is an estimated $62.75 billion on the way for 2016. That's another 4.5% climb. Meanwhile, there are polls out there saying that 9 in 10 people say that their pets are part of their family. So it's understandable why this market is growing so rapidly. People want to take care of their pets in good times and in bad. Yeah, and you know, we you look at some of the number other numbers and studies that have been out there just showing how this has changed over time. You know, if you look at seniors and and they own a lot of pets as well, their views on pets are are different than say millennials. Millennials are buying more toys, providing more pet care, are willing to make more sacrifices than any other uh, age group. So that suggests that the tailwinds toward you know spending on pets in the future are pretty strong. I do wonder with that whether there's something to be said for a pet being your first pet ever, or if maybe you've had five dogs before, if that influences it a little bit and skews those numbers about millennials versus people that are in older generations. It might. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out over time. Um, you could also argue that millennials haven't you know, seen some of the economic hardship maybe that seniors have, um, depending on their age. That's a good point, too. So, with all of this overview, and, and I think it's pretty clear that pet spending is, is a big spending force, how can an investor take advantage of this? What companies are in the space? Well, the big kahuna that investors need to focus on, or at least spend a little time uh, getting familiar with, is a company called uh, Zoetis, or Zotus, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And the symbol of that stock is ZTS. And this was formerly the Animal Health Products. Uh, division of Pfizer, and it got spun off by Pfizer back in 2013 when Pfizer was downsizing uh, after it lost patent protection on its uh, multi-billion dollar cholesterol drug Lipitor. So Zoetis is a very, very intriguing company. It's the biggest player out there. It's it's a pure play on animal health, uh, and they operate uh, both companion uh, uh, animal businesses and livestock businesses. 
Right. We hadn't really touched on livestock business very much, but that is a pretty big part of a lot of these companies, in addition to what you would imagine when you think of pet health care with your, your medicines and your vaccines, your vet trips. Right. You want to keep your livestock healthy, right? Because, I mean, that's, that's if, if you're a farmer and you know, you're, you've got cattle, you want to make sure that they're healthy when they make it to market. So, you know, you've got you know, vaccinations and, and other things that you do to make sure that, that these animals are healthy. Exactly. One other part of the, the Zoetis story that I think is worth mentioning, there's some involvement with a famous billionaire named Bill Ackman. He runs Pershing Square Capital Management. So their latest 13F revealed that they actually dumped a ton of their stakes in Zoetis, and they now own 55% less of it than they did at the end of, of the first quarter. Uh, this had something to do with them having an activist campaign trying to get the company to cut costs. And as always, when we talk about billionaires, you shouldn't follow them blindly. What do you think, Todd? Is this is this an instance where you might want to follow Ackman, or do you find the stock interesting? I think you have to take it with a very big grain of salt because you know Ackman. Anyone who's listened to our program in the past knows that Ackman uh, has a big stake in a company called Valiant, and Valiant's shares have been hit pretty hard. Um, it wouldn't shock me if some of the the sell, sale in Zoetis, which is up fifty six percent. Uh, since two, uh, February of 2013, uh, some of that is profit taking to free up some cash. Um, so I think that you know investors are are much better served when it comes to looking at the pet category to kind of ignore the machinations of the billionaires who may be trafficking in and out of these stocks and just simply look at the long term um, potential for sales and earnings. Right, and with that, I will reiterate: this is your biggest pure play. It can be kind of hard to find pure play stocks in animal health because the the norm is that it's a small subsection of another bigger company. You have Merck, Bayer, Eli Lilly all have relatively small parts of their business devoted to animal health. But with Zoetis being spun off from Pfizer, it stands alone as, "Hey, I want to invest in this trend, and this is a way that you can do so." And that gives it a lot of advantages over these other companies. I mean, think about this. All of your efforts for Zoetis are focused solely on driving sales growth and profit growth in the animal health business. I mean, it doesn't have to compete with, say, you know, other pharmaceuticals, if you're talking about Merck, uh, for research dollars. Um, so, yeah, there can be a lot of advantages associated with buying a company like Zoetis rather than trying to say, okay, well, I'm going to buy Merkin Company because it's the second biggest make, uh, maker of animal health products. I mean, it's a much smaller uh, piece of, of Merck's puzzle, if you will. And, you know, you look at Zoetis' competitive advantage, they, they say they're 45% bigger than the next biggest. So, you know, th- it is a, it's a massive company. Um, they expect that they're going to do uh, about, I think it's $4.8 billion in sales this year. They think they could grow that to $5 billion plus next year. It's a profitable company. It makes some money. Uh, investors should probably bank on somewhere around single-digit top-line growth from here, like 3 to 6%, um, and then maybe better than that on the bottom line. So maybe earnings are going to grow you know, closer to double digits because of some cost savings and being able to leverage greater sales against fixed costs. Right. So, we've talked about Zoetis, the the big guy in pure play animal health, and we've mentioned some of the other large pharmaceutical companies that have their hands in this market. There are also a ton of other smaller companies that are also pure plays, but on a much smaller scale than Zoetis. One of them that I thought we should talk about was Aratana, 
which that the ticker there is PetX. They're up 56% year to date and have been incredibly volatile along the way. Uh, just last September, they lost 50% of their value due to poor trial results. And this very much mirrored something that you might see in a human health company. They are testing two different drugs for dogs with B cell lymphoma. And the, the trial came out with negative news. The stock shed a bunch of value. And it kind of just goes to show that the risks tied to a lot of early stage biotechs in human health are kind of similar to the ones here in animal health. Yeah, and as we get wealthier as a nation, and we start spending more and more on our pets, uh, you'll you'll notice that the spending that we, you know, you're probably going to see an increasing trend toward our willingness to um, spend money on life extending um, therapies, something that we we maybe didn't do 20 years ago. Uh, Aritana is an interesting company because it's it's again it's a pure play developer of next generation therapy therapies for for animals uh, but it's also probably you know where, where Zoetis is the the tried and true proven leader this is a very unproven new young clinical stage company in uh, a tiny one at that it's only got a 321 million dollar market cap so a lot of the, uh, the 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 value in this is going to be okay well can they develop these drugs for things like uh, lymphoma or some of these other drugs that they've been working on um, and get those to market and then turn those into top sellers that can you know, allow them to turn a profit. And they do have a few drugs that are approved and on the market. Uh, they've got Entice, which is an appetite stimulant for dogs. Uh, they have a, a drug called Galaprint, which is licensed to the Eli Lilly animal health uh, segment, which is called Elanco. Um, they also have two drugs called Blontress and Tactress, which are lymphoma treatments for dogs. But product sales in the first quarter, or sorry, the second quarter, only totaled 230000 which is really not much at all. And this is out of total revenue for the company of about $21.1 million. The vast majority of that, actually more than that net income number, came from revenue from Elanco and that, that partnership. Yeah, I mean, you, this is a this is definitely a company that you have to dig do some digging on. Don't just look at the top line number and say, oh, you know, they did thirty million dollars in revenue in the second quarter. That's not true. They received a big mile, uh, big licensing payment uh, from Alonco uh, in the second quarter, and that swelled their their top line and their bottom line number. So, I mean, you really it's too too early to know whether or not these are going to be big sellers for this company and whether or not that's going to translate into meaningful and consistent um, um, sales and profit going forward. Another part of this pet health market uh, would be your your veterinary operators. Uh, the, the name to know here is called VCA. Their ticker is, appropriately enough, WOOF, W-O-O-F. Uh, they, like I said, are a vet clinic operator. They have 682 animal hospitals in the U.S. and Canada, uh, which is the vast majority of their revenue. That's about 79%. They also operate a vet diagnostic lab, which is 16% of their revenue. Uh, what do you think about them, Todd? This is an interesting um, uh, story because you're able to invest in the vets that you're actually, you know, maybe it's a hedge against your own pet spending, right? If you have to bring in your dog or your cat for care, maybe it feels a little less painful when you're at the checkout counter knowing that you've got some shares in the veterinary yes, clinic. Some or, part of this bill is going into my pocket. <laughs> right, right. I mean, let's do over and under one more time. Do you think that there are more or less than 30,000 um, uh, pet hospitals in the United States. Thirty 
thousand pet hospitals. Um, I think that sounds really high. I'm going to go less. It is less, 26,000. But that just shows to show how much opportunity for growth could exist for Wolf. I mean, if you think about it, they've only got, you know, less than 700 um, um, hospitals, yet there are 26,000 out there. And a lot of the growth historically for this company has come from acquiring um, existing hospitals and then rolling them in and using the best practices they've learned over time to make them more profitable. Right. This is something that they've been doing consistently. They just acquired a company called Capna in the second quarter. That was another 56 hospitals. And I'd say it looks like they're going to continue to expand their network, too. Yeah, they added about $200 million in annual revenue via acquisitions um, in the first half of the year. Uh, and that represented a lot of the top line growth. So, again, when you're if you're just looking at numbers, you're going to say, wow, you know, sales were up that much. Um, you got to remember that you know some of that came from acquisitions. But that being said, I mean you're still got solid mid single digit same store sales growth at the existing uh, hospitals that have been around at least one year. So you know this is a it's a it's a growing market. It's probably not a barn burner market, but it's definitely one that's intriguing that investors might want to consider. Exactly. One more company to add to your watch list is called IDEX Laboratories. These guys are in the market of animal health testing and analytics. They mostly do diagnostics within their companion animal group segment. Uh, they also do some tests for livestock and water quality and your more uh, dairy, animals, poultry kind of segment. But really what they do is they provide in-house analyzers and diagnostic equipment to these vets so that they can uh, analyze what's going on with your pet. And in particular, the in-house segment of that is really intriguing because if a vet can deliver the results right back to you immediately, that's really sticky. And they do have customer retention of 96 to 99%. It's a win-win-win. That's a win for the vet because it's greater customer satisfaction, keeps people coming back. It's a quicker turnover for them. That's a win for the customer because they can get their, their answers that they're looking for quicker. And that's a win for IDEX as well. Yeah, it's it's again. We're talking about a company that that does a fair amount of revenue. This is this is uh, a company with about 1.7 billion in trailing 12 month sales. That's that's great. Uh, it's a profitable company, which is also great for investors to know. Um, investors may also though want to know that this isn't necessarily cheap stock. This isn't one that's kind of been running under the radar that they can buy on sale. I think the forward price to earnings ratio for this stock is around 40. So you might want to throw this one on a watch list to just see whether or not it pulls back. Um, but I think if you're talking long term and you're saying, okay, well, if we understand as humans, when we go in, we want to get immediate feedback on what's wrong with us. Uh, and we assume that, you know, pet care is going to be similar when we go to the vet. We're going to want to know what's wrong with our dogs and our cats soonest. Uh, then I think that there's a really good opportunity for this company to continue to grow over time. The management of the company has said that they expect to grow sales about 10% annually from here, and their earnings should grow faster than that as they leverage those additional sales. So, this is a fast growing company, but like you mentioned, it's not exactly a cheap one. They're up 53% year to date. So, if you got in in January, then congratulations. That's a fantastic return over the last eight months or so. Um, even just this month, a great second quarter report pushed the stock up another 13%. 
whether or not it's a good time to get in now, I mean, you, you know as well as I do that you never want to try to time the market like that. But this definitely is a company that, for me, I would put it on a watch list and maybe wait for the, the price to go down a little bit. I agree. I think that makes sense. I mean, we have to. You want to invest in what you know, but you want to just be blind, blindly invest. I mean, the reality is that stocks do go up and they do go down. And you know, obviously, a lot of this is going to have to do with your time horizon and such. But I think that overall, the demand for caring for pets globally is on the rise, and that's going to provide natural tailwinds that make all of these companies interesting. Exactly. It's the same thing that you see in the human health market. I mean, this is this is kind of similar. I mean, I guess it's why we're talking about it on the healthcare show. This is an industry that is relatively immune to recession, much like you see in human healthcare, where it doesn't matter if times are good or times are bad economically. If you need to take care of a person or a pet that you view as a member of the family, you're going to spend that money. Uh, meanwhile, you still have drugs going through the FDA, so you still have that sort of risk and, and everything associated with that. Um, interestingly, when I was doing my research, I found out we talk about PDUFA dates all the time, as in the date that a drug is going to get approved. The animal equivalent of that is the Animal Drug User Fee Act, which is the ADUFA, starting with an A. I thought that was kind of interesting. But so there are a lot of similarities between these markets. How are they different? If you're looking at the pet healthcare market, what do you need to keep in mind if you're used to the human side of things? Well, probably the biggest difference between the two is the the fact that you really don't have a lot of third-party payer issues in the pet side, at least not yet. You're seeing more and more insurance companies offering pet insurance. I actually have pet insurance on my animals, um, but for the most part, it's a reimbur those are reimbursement type scenarios. You don't have, for example, the veterinary uh, hospital waiting for the insurance company to pay it. Instead, you're paying the insurance company and then getting reimbursed by the insurance company for that. So that's probably a good thing for these vets in these hospitals. They get the money immediately. Absolutely. And there's less of an ability for the insurance company maybe to go to each individual veterinarian and, and say, no, I'm only going to pay you X for this service. One other thing that I'll point out as a difference between investing in human medicine and animal medicine is the seasonal fluctuation that's present here. So, demand for vet services is actually higher during the warmer months. And it makes sense if you think about it. Pets are spending more time outdoors when it's nice out. So, they're more likely to be injured. They're more susceptible to disease and parasites. So, something to keep in mind if you're looking at quarter over quarter trends. Um, here's one more. So, uh, generics. I, this was interesting to me. They don't exist as prevalently in pet medicine, whereas this is something that's all over the landscape of human medicine, but it, it's just not as common to see generic versions of pet drugs. Right. There's not as much price competition. And, you know, as consumers, we don't like that, right? Um, but for, you know, a burgeoning or growing industry as investors, uh, maybe we have a slightly different view on that. Exactly. So, thank you so much for your thoughts today, Todd. To close out today's show, if you guys have been listening to Industry Focus over the past few weeks, you know that I've been calling for submissions to a call and leave us a voicemail and tell us either a story about your pet and maybe some crazy reason you had to take it into the vet or just give a tip um, for saving money. So, we'd like to play a couple of these voicemails that we received from listeners. Hi, fools. This is Willis Wilson. I'm calling uh, Industry Focus specifically on how to save money on pet health care. 
the tip that I'm going to give you is for new pet owners, specifically if you're getting a pet that hasn't received their shots. Uh, shots can be a lot of the expense up front of owning a pet, at least from the medical perspective. So I recommend you go to these mobile clinics. You can find them. They'll be setting up at, uh, at least in Orange County, Orlando, where I'm from. We'll have Walgreens and CVS host uh, clinics once a month. And that is, again, put on by the county. So if you are... A new pet owner, recommend you do a quick Google search on the mobile clinics that do shots for tests. Thank you. Hey, Industry Focus. This is Brian Feraldi, and I'm from North Kingstown, Rhode Island. I've got a funny dog story and a tip for you. We had a chocolate lab a few years back that was really into eating random things. And one time she got a hold of one of my wife's sewing needles. We saw her put it in her mouth, immediately ran over to try and get it out, in which case she immediately swallowed it. So we had to take her in for emergency surgery, which cost us $600. That was not fun. Unfortunately, she still had a habit of swallowing random things, which one time included a chewed-up piece of a dish towel. But we did hear from our vet that if they do swallow things that are soft and are poisonous, there is a trick to get it out of them cheaply and easily, and that is... You take a bulb syringe, you fill it up with hydrogen peroxide, and then you force feed it down their throat. When you do that, the dog will immediately vomit everything up that's in their stomach. And we had to do that two times on our dog. That's an unpleasant experience, but it saved us two trips to the to the vet again. So anyone that has a dog that likes to eat things they shouldn't, I'd suggest keeping a bulb syringe and some hydrogen peroxide around the house. Thanks, Industry Focus. Have a great day. There you have it. Life hacks from pet owners Lewis Wilson and Brian Feroldi. Thank you to everyone who called in. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Harges. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!